and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, Pastor Elliot preaches from Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. We will see that there's a big problem when we X ourselves out as being participants in God's plan in favor of being prayerless observers or even critics of God's plan. The age of accountability is also considered in this sermon. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. And then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself. Still has an eye problem. And he sat under the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant. Well, God has appointed a fish earlier in the book, same word. Now God appoints a plant. And so the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah, must have been very fast growing, to be a shade over his head to deliver him from the discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. So he's over here. He's axed himself out of being a prayerful participant in the plan of God. He's pouting over here, and God calls probably a gourd plant to grow up over his head with big leaves and to give him shade for his pity party. He's pouting. He's, he's happy because it's all about him. He's, he's, he's feeling good about this. Verse 7, but God appointed, here's the other same word, God appointed a fish, chapter 1. God appointed a plant, chapter 4. God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching wind. That's the fourth thing he's appointed. God is sovereign. God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. You see, his preference to die rather than to see God be merciful to his enemies just was under the skin. It hadn't gone away. And when the gourd weathered and he no longer had shade, it came out again. I'd rather die. It was a hard issue for the prophet and it's a hard issue for us. And God wanting to teach Jonah but also wanting to teach every other reader of the book of Jonah since, including us. This was such an important lesson that there was not a lesson for subtleties. God taught this right between the eyes. The prophet goes over here to pout, not to pray, to see what God might do with the Assyrians. God grows a gourd, shades the pouting prophet. He likes it. God withers the gourd overnight, takes it away, and the prophet wants to die. This is such a blatant, obvious, hard-hitting lesson that Jonah needed to understand and that we must understand. There is a big problem when we step out of being participants in God's plan who are praying, and we choose to be powders who criticize God's plan and feel sorry for ourselves to the point of wanting to die rather than to see God do what he wants to do. God turned up the heat, literally, by having the gourd wither and the shade go away. 
And as we know from Proverbs 23, verse 7 in the King James Version, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So Jonah got on the ship to Tarshish because he thought in his heart that he hated Assyrians. He had a momentary repentance in the belly of the fish. He was vomited onto the beach, and he walked into the city, and after one day of discharging his duties of saying, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, he started to have that same as a man thinks in his heart, so he is problem. He didn't like these people. And when they started to repent, when they started to show outward evidence of repentance and belief in Israel's God, he was not happy. And so he absented himself from walking the other two days' journey around the wall and giving God's message. And that was because as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And that's true for us still. What are we thinking? Are we thinking God's thoughts after God in his word Or is there a certain group of people that we really don't want to see in heaven? Verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Sound familiar? God asked him if he had good reason to want to die previously. Now the plant has died. God says, Do you have good reason to be sad about the plant? And then Jonah says, I have good reason to be angry even to death. When you and I are in our flesh, as opposed to being controlled by the Holy Spirit, our flesh is extreme. It takes us to extremes. He says, yeah, I have every right to be angry that your plant died. I have every right to be angry even to the point of death. Then God points out to him that this plant that he values so very, very much to have pity under it in shade is not eternal. It has no soul. But all of the people, the Assyrians in the capital city of Nineveh, have souls. Then the Lord said to him, verse 10, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh? God is saying to you, Jonah, you have compassion on a gourd plant that you didn't work to make, but I worked to make all those Ninevites in my image. You're upset about a gourd plant that you didn't cause to grow over your head, but I've caused all those Ninevites, all those Assyrians to be healthy and at this point in their lives alive. And you're concerned that your shade gourd perished overnight? Should I not be concerned about the souls, the hundreds of thousands of souls of Assyrians in Nineveh that are perishing without a faith in me? And God continues, verse 11, and should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? I understand these 120,000 persons mentioned to be children, young children, who don't even know the difference between their right and their left hand. There's little kids 
God says, in this huge city full of hundreds of thousands of souls that I have made and that I care about, some of these are 120,000 children who don't know right from wrong yet, babies. Shouldn't I have compassion on them? This may be a verse that we could point to to try to understand the whole concept of whether there is a so-called age of accountability. I would admit that it's not crystal clearly teaching that, but it could be teaching that when a person doesn't know the right from their left hand, when a baby dies, that God makes provision for salvation for that child who's before an age of accountability. If there is such a thing as an age of accountability, people say, when is it? If there is such a thing as an age of accountability, it probably varies from child to child. I've told you before that my sister-in-law, Beth's sister, speculates, wonders, could the age of accountability be when your child first gets concerned about not having clothes on? Longest time, children don't care to run around without clothes on. It doesn't bother them a bit, but then one day, all of a sudden, it bothers them. Adam and Eve, what is the first thing they did when they became accountable to God for sinning? They tried to cover themselves, their nakedness. I don't know. But I do know that God was pointing out to his pouty, suicidal prophet that it was, made no sense for the prophet to have compassion on a gourd plant that he didn't cause to grow and didn't sustain and didn't have a soul when it perished. Jonah had no right to have compassion on the gourd, but God had every right to have compassion on people with souls. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, I'm thrilled this morning to have in our recording studio, Pastor Errol Parkinson. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much, Pastor Rob, and yourself? I'm doing fine. Great. Thank you. Uh, brother Errol is one of the pastors, ordained pastors in Calvary Bible Church, and does a wonderful job and has a dear family. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time that I've been growing and, and learning so much while I've been at Calvary, and the Lord has really been blessing me, so I appreciate it. Wonderful. Well, one of the things that I'd like to chat with you about this morning is we have a men's fellowship ministry here at Calvary Bible that uh, men plug into, and it has many different faces. And as uh, the leader under that banner of the men's fellowship, I was hoping you could walk our listeners through a little bit of the kinds of things that are available for men uh, who want to be involved here. Yeah, we do have uh, quite a number of things that we uh, do with our men here to try to keep them plugged in and involved in the ministries. Beginning at the start of the year, we usually uh, have our monthly meeting setups that we have once every uh, month on the third Friday of, of each month. We have a, a regular monthly meeting that we uh, usually have an invited speaker come in and uh, uh, talk about a specific uh, topic for the men related to men and their issues. Or sometimes we may have general topics um, that uh, involved maybe even the women and we invite women to come in because the last one we had was related to the uh, gender equality bill. We had uh, Brother Brian Marie come in and he uh, spoke to bo- about that. And he did a great job on that. Yes, yeah. he did. And we invited the women and, and everybody benefited from that. So that was spirited by the men's ministry. And aside from the monthly meeting, we also have every Saturday morning, we have a Bible study uh, from 630 for the, we actually call it our faithful men's Bible study because it's 630 a.m 
every Saturday morning. 6.30 a.m., the fish are biting. Exactly, 6.30 a.m. So you really got to be committed if you want to be a part of this group. From 6.30 to 8 8 o'clock, we do some Bible study, different topics, different uh, areas we, we concentrate on. Our latest study on Kingdom Men, and that's what we did, uh, a video-driven study related on, to Kingdom Men by uh, Dr. Tony Evans. And it was really well attended. Our men enjoyed it. And it's a good opportunity for us to bond and really to share and to grow together, uh, sharpening each other. And we have good, lively discussions. And we have new men that come in from time to time as well. So that's a right. great part of our ministry. And that's open to Christian men from other uh, assemblies and local churches in Nassau, is, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We have uh, a few guys that come in from other areas, other churches, and we invite anybody from 6.30 to 8.30, 8 o'clock uh, Saturday morning, you can come in and be a part of our Bible study. Fantastic. And then um, I believe you also have an exciting initiative and have been a part of for a little while in Centerville area in the school. Yes, uh, Centerville Primary School. Uh, a couple of years ago, actually two years ago, we were approached by the principal at the time that uh, they had an issue at the school that they had no men role models on the campus. Every single administrator, every teacher, even the security officers were all women. Wow. And they had no male representative to kind of uh, guide the young men in the campus. So they reached out and they formed this uh, initiative they call FACT Club, F-A-C-T, Fathers Assisting Children and Teachers. And what it was, they reached out to churches in the community and requested for men in, in these churches to come and partner with them to kind of, you know, spend time with the kids um, an hour or two a week to kind of just share stories, to guide them, to give them a little bit of encouragement and to, to help with the lessons with the teachers to give them some assistance and to provide that role model and father figure for those who may not have a big father figure available to them. And, and that's been working out really well. This is now, we just finished our second year of the program, and we've been getting good responses. The, the principal uh, has indicated that, you know, they've seen marked improvements in the academics and behaviors. of A lot of the young men, even the young ladies as well, are benefiting from this program. So we really thank God for the opportunity that he presented for us uh, to be able to be a part of this, and it's been going really well. It's so exciting as pastor to get some feedback that some of our men have been able to share Bible stories, talk about the Lord with the students. Yes. And uh, that's such a great freedom we still have in the Bahamas oh, yes, to do sure. that. Yes, it is for sure. And believe you me, the kids, I mean, they are so appreciative of it. You know, I mean, they when I come into the classrooms, they just swamp me with hugs. And, mm. and even when I see them, because I sometimes... I do see them outside of the school and they see me and they hug me and they, they're so appreciative of the times that we uh, spend with them. So it's really great. It's that's, great. that's lovely. I, I know that I was told that before the program got launched and these Christian men volunteers were coming in, uh, that they often would be greeted by the, you know, sincerely by the children saying, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am, because they were so used to always yes. saying, ma'am. Yes, exactly. They correct themselves. Oh, I mean, sir. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you, man. That's, so it's now gotten to the point now that they actually do have, I think, one male uh, teacher on the campus now is in the computer lab, but they still want, we're still carrying on with the program, and we're still going to, you know, take advantage of this opportunity to try to make a difference in the lives, a positive impact on our kids in the uh, Centerville School there. That is so beautiful. That's honoring to Christ. Yes. I know another thing that the, the men of the Calvary uh, Bible Men's Fellowship are involved with is practical um, assistance for the widows of our church that have certain needs. 
Yes, um, and how that has come about, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, to help the widows and the orphans. And in our church, we do have a few women who are widows and live on their own, and they face challenges from time to time with maintaining their homes and their yards, and they just need some help sometimes. So, you know, we've made ourselves available for that. So if they need some assistance around the house, and a lot of times, lately it's been like with roofs, repairing roofs and um, cleaning yards, uh, painting uh, the house and, and different things around around their surroundings that you know they would really need a meal to help them with because uh, a lot of them are getting up in age now and can't do a lot for themselves like that. So our men are you know very eager to help out and we have a good crew that uh, comes out and, and does this work and uh, it's a, another good time of fellowship and bonding for our men and and you know to be able to spend time together working and, and helping uh, these ones who are in need and to be able to share our stories and, and, and together and to, 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 to bond, you know, it's a great time. That's a winning proposition for everybody, for the widow who is helped, for the men who do the work, yes. and uh, of course for the, the body of believers we call the Church of uh, Christ. Yes. Well, I, that's so good that we are able to chat a bit about the Men's Fellowship at Calvary Bible Church. And as you listen this morning, sir, uh, brother, uh, remember that there is a place in Calvary Bible Church for you as a man if you do not already have a Bible-believing and teaching church. We would love for you to come and visit us on a Sunday or on a Saturday morning early to meet the guys in the Bible study, and you'd be warmly welcomed, and uh, we would enjoy that very much. So let's have a word of prayer, uh, Pastor Errol, before we sign off. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uniqueness of being male. We thank you that both men and women are created in your image, but you have given men certain responsibilities, inclinations, abilities, and commands in Scripture to follow through upon. We thank you for the men of Calvary Bible Church who seek to walk with you in uh, sincerity and truth. Lord, we're not perfect, we know that for sure, but we are striving to know you more and to make you known, to live with your love and to be a help to our wives and children, grandchildren, but also, Lord, to our local church family and then beyond to our community. We thank you for Pastor Errol Farkerson and his uh, good leadership of our men's fellowship. Please bless him as in his role as a husband and as a father and as one of the pastors of our church. And we pray these things in Jesus' name with thanksgiving always. Amen. Amen. And now today's personal God story. Today, Pastor Rob Elliott's God story progresses with a remarkable interview in which his newly saved father had with his unsaved pastor. My dad saw his need of Christ. He saw that as good a person as he tried to be, he still fell short of God. And he was a sinner in need of a savior. And he come, came to believe that Jesus Christ was the only savior that God would ever provide for him or for anybody else for that matter. And so in my dad's own time and way, he too put his trust fully on Christ to be his Lord and savior from sin. and. He decided to go to his church where he was actually a, an elder on the elders board of this church. And my dad went to his pastor and quite excitedly told the pastor, hey, I, I've become a born again Christian pastor. And the pastor said, well, that's just great, Don. I'm happy for you. And my dad said, well, Dr. Hunter, are you a born again Christian? And the pastor said, no, I'm not. <laughs> And my dad said, 
I'm shocked. And Pastor Hunter said, but no, I'm not a born-again Christian, but we're glad to have born-again Christians still in our church, and I hope you'll stay. We need you. Well, my dad was pretty baffled by that. So eventually he went back to Dr. Hunter, his pastor, after he'd learned a little bit more, and he said, Dr. Hunter, I believe the Bible is literally God's word. And Pastor Hunter said, well, that's nice, Don. We need people around here who believe that the Bible is God's word. So my dad said, Pastor, do you believe that the Bible is God's word? And Dr. Hunter said, not literally. And so my dad said, well, I believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, like it says in Genesis. Do you believe that? And Dr. Hunter said to my father, not literally. And then my dad said, well, I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish and he lived and he got out of that fish and he preached to a city and many, many people turned to God. Do you believe that? And Dr. Hunter said to my father, not literally, Don. So my dad said, I I believe the Bible when it says that Jesus fed 5,000 people, not including women and children, with a little boy's sack lunch. Do you believe that, Dr. Hunter? Pastor turned to my father and said, not literally, Don. My dad was getting more and more concerned. And so finally, he turned to his pastor and said, Dr. Hunter, I believe that God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you believe that? And the pastor said, not literally, Don. Imagine that, a pastor, not born again, doesn't believe in creation, doesn't believe in miracles of the Old Testament, doesn't believe in miracles of the New Testament, doesn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Well, there are pastors like that on this island too. Well, anyway, when my father learned that about his pastor, he said, Pastor, I have to go to a church that believes the Bible literally. I have to leave. Oh, don't leave, Don. We need people like you around here. We, we, you know, don't leave. Please don't leave. And my dad clearly figured out that what Dr. Hunter wanted from my dad was his offerings, his money. (laughs) That's what he wanted. He didn't want to know truth that my dad had come into, or he would have asked my dad to explain the truth about being born again. But he said, no, you need to stay around here because he wanted my dad's offerings. Well, my dad took the courageous step of moving our family away from that church that did not believe the Bible was God's word to a church that did believe the Bible to be God's word. And I'm so glad my dad made that hard decision. And eventually we found a church that believed the Bible is God's word, taught the Bible as God's word, preached the Bible as God's word, had the Bible as the final authority about what was right or wrong. And uh, it was wonderful. We were there in that church till I was just entering junior high. And in the course of being involved in that good church, I learned a lot about the Bible and my faith in Jesus grew. Uh, He was not only my savior like he was when I was a little boy, but he, he grew to be not only my savior, but my Lord and my master. And the same thing was happening in my mom and dad's lives. And God gave my mom and dad more children after Janet died. I had a sister born named Mary, and then I had a, another sister born named Ruth. And in due time, they too came to trust Jesus to be their personal savior. And so our family um, 
was in fellowship with God through Christ and in fellowship with each other because we uh, all trusted the Lord to be our Savior and things were going well. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliott. Now I have a question based on the Great Commission, the last words of the risen Christ before he ascended back to heaven. Those are found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Let me read those verses. Jesus' words, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The question is, what is the essential command of the Great Commission? And the answer is, the essential command in the Great Commission is the command to make disciples. And the making of disciples requires going, baptizing, and teaching. And so we obey as the church, we obey Jesus' great commission by fulfilling the command to make committed followers of Christ, by winning them to Christ, then baptizing them after conversion by immersion, then by teaching them all that Christ has commanded as found in the New Testament. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at Radio at gmail.com that's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas and remember everyone needs a savior